Well, happy Resurrection Sunday, Thrive Church. How are we doing? It's good to have you guys with us today. And for those who are also joining us on our online campus, if you have your copy of God's Word, turn to Luke 24, uh, verse 1. That's Luke 24, 1. Well, my son recently downloaded this game on his iPad. And it's not a normal game. It reminds me of whenever you were going to Chuck E. Cheese or like a carnival as a kid, and you did the little claw that went around. Remember that? The claw, and it grabbed the stuffed animal and pulled it out. Did anybody ever win that? I've never won that before. Like, I see all these hands up. You guys are highly favored of God because I've never won it. Well, my son found an iPad version of it. And I was like, no, because you have to pay every time you do it. And so he's, you know, again, he's on the iPad. He's hitting the button and it's going. And it actually picked up one of those little stuffed animals. And it brought it over and it says, you've won. And it's going to ship. And so, you know, I was still skeptical. After week one, there was no toy. After week two, there was no toy. Week three, I'm starting the conversation with little buddy. I'm like, hey, little buddy, I don't think you're going to get a toy. I just don't think they're going to send it. And he's super, super optimistic. He's like, no, 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 Dada, they said they would send it. So that means they're going to send it. That's the, <laughs> the naivety of a six-year-old, right? And I'm like, well, buddy, I don't know. Week four goes by, no toy. Week five goes by, no toy. Week six, I delete that stinking game. I'm angry, right? And I'm just prepping them, you're not going to get the toy Week seven goes by. Week eight, guess what shows up in the mail from China? That toy. I open the mailbox up. I'm like, son of a gun. He was right. <laughs> they sent it. Now, here's full disclosure. He's in kids ministry today. Um, he doesn't see this. I haven't given him the toy yet, and here's why. I'm going to, but i got to figure out how to not get him to download that game again so I will not go broke and bankrupt on that claw machine game. <laughs> but he just had this optimism. It's like, no, 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 Dada, it's going to come. Like, you just got to wait for it and be patient. I'm like, dude, like, because I'm skeptical. I'm pessimistic. And the, so the whole time, I'm just like, it's not coming. We're, we're, you know, you're not going to get it. And it did finally come. Today, what I want to talk to you about as we look at the resurrection and we look into Luke's account, I want to talk to you about hope. And not hope for the claw machine or a toy coming, but what hope really is. I believe that in our Christian faith, hope is so underrated. We talk about so many things and attributes, but we don't talk about hope. And that's what the disciples had to have, especially with the darkest time they went through. Now, remember last week we celebrated Palm Sunday, and we talked about what was happening, that when the Jews found out that Jesus was not going to be the political king of Israel to come and smash Rome, when they found that out, they said, hey, look, no, 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 we don't want this guy. Just get rid of him. Because in the first century, lots of false messiahs rose up, and you know how to tell the difference between a false messiah and a true messiah? You crucify him. Guess what? False messiahs don't get up. And so this is kind of common for, for people in that day and time. They said, let's just crucify him, get rid of him. If he's not going to serve our political agenda, if he's not going to come and take out Rome for Israel for our behalf, then we don't want him. And so the disciples watched their friend, their rabbi, their Lord, they watched him beaten beyond recognition, flogged going through the whole Roman ritual, a whole day of that to the point he was unrecognizable, couldn't carry his cross. And then he was crucified on that Friday. And then as of yesterday, which is our day and time, that Saturday he was in the tomb. 
Now, I want you to, to enter into what they were experiencing. Now, I want you to stop thinking about just what you've learned because it's all about, you know, we think about us and the Scriptures, not. Think about what they went through on that Saturday. None of them were sitting around saying, hey, I know Friday happened, but Sundays are coming. <laughs> you know, you see all the posts on Facebook, Sundays are coming. None of them were sitting around waiting for the resurrection to happen. They were grieving. They were hurt. Some of them went back to their old jobs, as Peter did, to be a fisherman. They were done. They felt like their emotional ranges and spectrums went from, you know, number one, this guy, I mean, he pulled the wool over our eyes. He said that he was the son of God. He said about the kingdom and the kingdom and the kingdom. They thought the physical kingdom. And now he's gone. And they look like fools in front of all of their friends who were Jews who were saying, oh, yeah, this guy's nothing. He's not really that. And they're sitting there on that Saturday, and to them all hope is lost. I want you to look at what happens in Luke 24.1 on that Sunday morning. And Luke records this. As you guys know, Luke was a doctor in the first century. And so he did careful research. He wasn't an eyewitness like Matthew or John. You know, Mark sat down with Peter and got Peter to kind of tell him the story, and Mark, Mark wrote the story out. But Luke did it differently. Luke was a Gentile, a non-Jew who got saved uh, many years after the resurrection, and he went through as a doctor would, and he studied every detail. And so here's his account of what he studied carefully. Luke 24, 1 says, But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in. But they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, this is not what they did. They didn't stay around and go, hallelujah, he's risen. I just knew it. Mary, we knew he'd rise from the dead. No, that, they, that wasn't even on their radar. And look what happens next. It says, as they stood there puzzled, two men appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes, who we know to be angels, the women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. And did you know that the historical account goes, the women go back to where the disciples were staying, and they told the disciples. And you know how men are, right? Like, like, I don't know about you guys, but if I'm driving in the wrong direction, I do not want to hear my wife tell me the right directions. It's like, I got this, I got this, right? That's like, you know, let me mansplain to you how I'm going to get you there. <laughs> and sure enough, the women come back, and they're like, hey, he's not there. And there was like these two men in white robes, and he's risen. And then what happens? Peter and John race to the tomb, and they peer in and look. And they see from themselves. But they still aren't sure yet what has happened. They're trying to put the pieces together. Like, what does this really mean? He's not there. They say he's risen. We haven't seen him yet. And they have hope. On that Sunday, there's a hope spark that their friend, their rabbi, the guy they call Lord, they put everything on the line for, this guy might actually be alive. And they had hope. And as you know later, Jesus shows up to them with the scars in his hand, and he speaks to them. And then he, he spends 40 days with them before he, he ascends to heaven, teaching about the kingdom of God. And then he releases them into their ministry in the first century. I want to talk to you today about hope. 
because hope is usually forgotten when you look at the historical account of the resurrection. And my goal today that when we get through with today, every time you see the empty tomb, that you're going to have hope spring up in your mind. Because here's what I know. We're in a season of life. None of us thought this past year would, would be what it was, right? I don't think in our five-year plans, we're like, okay, in 18, we're going to do this, in 19, we're going to do this, and in 20, everything's going to shut down with a pandemic, and we're just going to just shut everything down, and no schools, no work. It's going to be, it's, it's going to be just, yeah, none of us saw that coming. And it's affected all of us in different ways. And in life, you're going to have curveballs thrown at you. You're going to have things that you never thought would happen in your life, things you never thought you would experience in life. And if you don't have this thing called hope, you will not be able to navigate the toughest seasons that life throws at you. Matter of fact, here, here's my definition for hope, and it's really deep. It's theological, and it's got a lot of big words in it. So get your pens ready, and I'm not sure if, if we can even spell half these words. It's really deep. Are you ready for it? Here's today's big idea. Hope is for the bad times. That's deep, right? Hope is for the bad times. Matter of fact, G.K. Chesterton said this. He said, hope is not actually hope unless the situation's completely hopeless. As long as there's like, there's like hope involved, he said, then it's just mere optimism. He says, but hope becomes a strength to the believer. Hope becomes real to the believer when you're faced with a hopeless situation. Hope is for the bad times. Now, if you're like me, uh, you might be a pessimist. I'm a pessimist. Like, uh, you know, I, I'm not this eternal optimist like some people are. My, my best friend, Brett Cooper, is the optimist. Like, he is the eternal optimist. Matter of fact, the way he got this from, his dad, when Brett was 10 years old, his dad was an alcoholic, raging alcoholic. And his dad put down the bottle one day, just put it down, started a painting business, and that business became a multi-million dollar company in their area. And the rest is history, right? Just awesome. Anybody can do anything at any time. I'm the pessimist. My dad drank himself to death by 65 years old. And so when I talk to Brett, I'm the pessimist, he's the optimist. So if you're a pessimist in here, understand that I'm with you, that you have to understand that hope is not mere optimism. It's just not like being happy. Hope is not wishing, right? But it's a confident belief in God's future promises. Don't miss that. It's, God's, it's belief in God's future promises. It's not wishing. Matter of fact, my dad, who was a you know, pretty rough guy, he would tell me, wish in one hand and spit in the other. Let's see which one fills up first. Now, he didn't say spit. He wasn't a believer. But, you know, that's you know, it's what he said. And that's where I grew up. I grew up under a pessimist. Right? That's how I grew up. But that's not what hope is. Hope's not just wishing things away. Hope's not saying that the reality doesn't exist. Hope is a confident belief in God's future promises in life. That you believe that God's already gone before you. You know what David said in Psalm, Psalm 23? I love that. He said that the Lord has gone before me and prepared a table in the presence of my enemies. And David was referring to how a shepherd would go before his sheep and clear out the way when there's a lot of thorns and branches and clear the area out and make it safe for the sheep to go into. Do you know that God's already, he's already in your next season? 
The things that you're worried about, God's already before you. He's eternal. He's sovereign. He's already there. He's already in that future you're so worried about. And we should have hope and a confident belief in God's future promises. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but you've probably heard a lot of sermons on faith before, right? But as I begin to write this, and I started writing this sermon months ago, I've not heard a lot of sermons on what hope is. And so as I begin to look at it, I kind of did a test. I said, well, what is faith and what is hope? And I couldn't really distinguish both of them you know, apart. It's like they were twins married, right? Connected together. So what happened was I realized Paul says faith, hope, and love, these three remain. Hope is its own thing. Hope is not faith and faith is not hope. But here's how I was treating hope my whole life. Are you ready for this? Hope was like mountain lightning. Faith was like mountain dew. Hope was like the knockoff brand of faith, right? It's like you got faith. But, but yeah, yeah, hope is what it is. It's like faith was Dr. Pepper. Hope was Dr. Thunder, right? Like it was that knockoff brand. Hope, hope was RC Cola and faith was Coca-Cola. And that's the way that I viewed hope. And I didn't realize how important hope had played in my life and the importance that hope does play in life. See, if you have your notes handy and want to write this down, the difference is this. Faith says whatever you are believing for is going to happen now. It's like kind of like the right now, this window, this, this current day, just believing for this thing. It's the job promotion coming up. You, you've got the interview. You went through the interview, and you're believing in faith that will happen. Maybe you've got a bad doctor's report, and you're believing in faith that the Lord would have mercy with healing. Or maybe it's, I don't know what it is for you, but it's that, that current situation. Faith is more of a right now thing. But here's what hope is. Hope is the optimism for the future, watch this, because of God's faithfulness. Say it one more time. Hope is the optimism for what? The future because of God's faithfulness. Like you believe in a preferred future that God has for you. Let me explain it this way to you. Okay, so if you have children, here's the way I can explain it. My son is six right now. When I pray in the mornings for him, I have a certain day that I pray specifically for my son and wife, and I focus on them. I am praying right now for my son's future spouse. Right now. I'm praying for her. I don't know who she is. I don't know where she's at. God knows, because he's already, right? he's already gone before us and prepared a tape, right? God knows. And so I'm praying for her, and I'm praying for him for all his future relationships, because the most important relationships in a, in a kid's life is, is the friendships they form. And I'm praying for those things, and I'm praying for his calling, what God's going to call him to, whatever that may be in life, already. Why? Because I have a, what, a preferred future that I'm believing for. Hope is something that's futuristic. It's, it's a belief for whatever that is in your life. It could be for your marriage. If, if you believe today is the best day of your relationship, then you've missed it. My wife and I have hope of a great retirement one day and of getting to travel more. We have hope of a better marriage than we even have today, and it's great. It's wonderful. It could be for your health, your finance, whatever that is in your life, you have hope because of God's faithfulness. And you have this belief for the future that God can do it for you. Matter of fact, it, you know, as I was thinking about this message and preparing for it, this actually affected me big time. Probably... I think there's two of the greatest decisions you'll make in life. One is your relationship with Jesus is first. Everybody say amen. You can't go wrong with Jesus on Easter, right? Say amen. 
But the second greatest relationship you'll ever, your decision you ever make is relationship of, of who you choose to be your spouse. Like there's one thing worse than being alone. It's being with the wrong person the rest of your life. So well, I was 19 when I got saved. I was addicted, as you guys know, to drugs and alcohol. I was, crazy. I was just a wild kid, wild child, kicked out of a university, banned from it, couldn't come back. And I gave my life to Christ and, and just really began to surrender and live for him. And I got called to ministry. And I forget walking by my pastor's door, and this is back like 20 years ago, and he had this really big office that was all like stained wood and, and a you know, big library and all those things. Um, I, have an, uh, I have an office, but it's actually a closet in the house over there. It's actually a real closet. <laughs> and so, so I walk by there, and he calls me into his office, and I'm like sitting down in the Holy of Holies. And he says, so Kevin, I hear you're called to ministry. I say, yeah, I, f- I feel that calling. He says, well, I'm going to tell you something. And he's a good friend to this day. I, I really love that guy. He's my first pastor ever. He said, you need to think about a spouse. That's something important for ministry and the right one, so very important. I said, okay, okay, okay. And we had a little conversation. I left, and here's what I did. I wrote down on a sheet of paper everything that I wanted in a spouse, front and back. Put in an envelope, kept it. And I began to fast and pray. I said, God, I'm not going to stop fasting and praying until the day you send that person to me, and I will not settle or fall short for this. Well, over time, you know, as, as I was at the church and serving, there was somebody else at the church there. I had never, I never noticed, which is now the most beautiful woman ever, right? My wife now. I didn't know. And like the, the, my eyes just opened one day. I was like, oh, wow. She is the best. She's the best. And so we were talking. We hung out a little bit. I'd not dated anybody in the five years I'd been saved. I was just serving God and seeking God. And we got to talking. And I was talking to her. And I explained to her, you know, she said, well, well you know, we were talking about relationships and dating and how, how you know, we, we believe more in courtship than dating. However that falls for you, it falls for you. That's what we believed. So, um, you know, we, we didn't believe, you, you know, you test it out first and you get married. Um, we just, we really believed and, you know, God had one for you. That's for us. You may have something different. So here's what I realized. I talked with her about that. She said, I said, well, here's what I've done. I said, I am, I wrote this down. I told, didn't tell what I wrote down. I said, I'm fasting and praying until I meet that person. And she got really quiet on the phone. I'm like, uh-oh, she thinks I'm weird. <laughs> she had been doing the same thing. And we talked about what those things said. And she hit every single mark. And I hit Thank the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I'm married up, y'all. I'm married out of my league. Just, she's a nursery servant. I'm not saying because she's in here. I'm married out of my league. I hit every mark for her too. But here's what mattered for that. Listen to the, the, the key to this. We had hope for a preferred future based on God's faithfulness. And friends, you've got to have hope for the future. Because if you don't, and, and write this down, this is so important, without hope, You'll see your current situation as your permanent situation. Say it one more time. Without hope, you're going to see your current situation as your permanent situation. And you're going to get stuck. You're going to think whatever situation you're in, you'll get to the point that you think the chapter you're in is the end of the story. And can I tell you something? The chapter that you're in is just a chapter. 
You've got more chapters to go, and there's the end of the story, and it's going to be much different than it is today. But you've got to have hope, not because you're happy, not because you're optimistic. You have hope based on God's goodness and God's faithfulness. But so many times, so many times we get stuck in the right here, the right now, what I'm seeing now, and we make long-term decisions based on temporary uh, uh, you know, feelings. We burn bridges we shouldn't burn because we only see the little season that we're in in life. And I want to encourage you not to do that. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul, he wrote this in 2 Corinthians. And 2 Corinthians is interesting. I want you to listen to this here. He wrote two, two books to them, two letters to them. Now, they probably didn't get it the first time, right? So they had to write a second one. They were pretty lengthy letters. But in between those letters, the Apostle Paul was going on missionary journeys in the first century. He was taking mission trips to cities who had never heard the gospel. And he began to get his brains beat out. Every city he went to, he just began to see people oppose him. He was getting put in jail. He was flogged. And 2 Corinthians is written in a much different tone than 1 Corinthians was. Paul was humbled. And Paul had learned something, that he couldn't think that his current situation was the permanent situation. And look what he says in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, so we don't look at the troubles we can see now. And he wants them to understand the eternal picture of things. Not just the five-year plan or ten-year plan, but God's eternal picture. He wanted the Corinthians to understand that. So he says this. So we don't look at the troubles we have now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. He said, you have got to change what you are looking at. Look beyond the situation that you're in and believe that God has an eternal plan for what you are going through. See, Claire Luce Booth said this. She said, there are no hopeless situations, only people who've grown hopeless about them. So here's what we got to do, guys. Monday through Saturday's coming. You're not going to be in church. You're not going to hear me preaching unless you're listening to our podcast, which you should. Shameless plug. Uh, you could by downloading our app. No, but, but here's what, what, what you have to do. You have to make a choice. Choose to be hopeful when all hope is lost. You think your situation is never going to change. If you believe it, it never will. I don't care if you're an optimist or if you're a pessimist. There's a choice. Hope is not something that happens to you. Hope is something you have to put into action. And you've got to choose to be hopeful when all hope is lost. I am getting, I'm telling you, the most exciting thing about Easter is not just all the brand new people we get to meet. And I get to meet at the host tent. I love meeting first-time guests. Some of my just favorite things to do. You know, what my, you know what's been really special this year? Seeing some of you I haven't seen in a year. Because last year things were different. All of us remember March 1st, right? Of 2020. Friends, I'm going to tell you something. I didn't know. We completely got shut down. I didn't know if our church would survive being virtual for as long as it did. We'd never done virtual. Like, like we literally, I mean, it was as DIY as you could do it when we first started doing it. We didn't have any of this stuff to do virtual. Not only that, but I talked to pastors all the time. I work with pastors. That's something I do. They were all scared to death. We had so many sleepless nights because we didn't know if the church would even exist. I was completely stressed out, full of anxiety. 
Our staff was full of anxiety. We were barking at each other and we were laughing and crying and screaming. And I mean, it was just, it was just complete chaos for those first months. But here's what I did. I decided, once I realized this was not a two-week shutdown, remember that? It's two weeks. We can do anything for two weeks. And when I realized, and I talked to some of these other pastors, and they said, hey, it's not going to end until August or September. And then we got to June, like, hey, it's not going to end for the end. I had to make a choice to be hopeful based on God's faithfulness. That God, you've not failed. This is your church. Jesus, you said you would build the church. This is not my church. I'm not in charge of it. And I had to choose. This pessimist had to choose to be hopeful and to walk into staff meetings and make plans that I didn't even know were going to work. Like, yeah, guys, let's make this. We're going to do this and do that. And I'm thinking, oh. Had to choose to be hopeful when it seemed like there wouldn't be a Thrive Church the next year. And here we are on Resurrection Sunday celebrating together. Amen? And I want you in your situation to start making that choice to be hopeful that what you see now, your current situation, will not always be that way. And I want to give you two scriptures and two tips that have helped me out of how to booster my hope in hopeless situations the first scripture is in Romans 15, 4. And here's what I want to tell you. You've got to review and rehearse God's recorded faithfulness. Let me say that again. You've got to review and rehearse. I'll explain it, God's recorded faithfulness. Look at Romans 15, 4. And I love what Paul writes to the church in Rome. He says such things. This is the Old Testament, right? Because they didn't have the Bible uh, then. They didn't have the New Testament then. He says, such things were written in the Scriptures long ago to teach us. And the Scriptures do what? Well, watch this. They, they give us, what's that word? Hope and encouragement as we patiently wait for God's promises to be fulfilled. Hope is in the future. But here's what you have to do. You have to review and rehearse God's recorded faithfulness. What does that mean, Kevin? When I do my devotions, I'm going through the Bible in a year. Anybody ever done that before? Like on my Bible app, right? Well, I'm actually on the two-year plan. It might go into three. I'm just not really consistent. I'm, I'm your pastor. I'm being honest. But as I sit down and do my devotions and I read, and I'm reading in the Old Testament, that's part, part of your reading, here's what I do when I'm faced with hopeless situations. I read the scripture, review it, and then I rehearse it. What does that mean? I say, God, you parted the Red Seas for Moses. Enemies were all around him. He was anxious. He was scared. He was worried. He stretched out that staff, and you parted a sea for him and engulfed all the Egyptian enemies that were coming after them. If you can do that for Moses, you're the same God, that Mo you're the same God for me. You can do it for me, too. You can part any situation that I'm facing. God, you fed Elijah with ravens by a brook. Like you brought food with ravens, like birds, which is kind of gross, right? Like if birds drop food off your doorstep with their beaks, I'm not sure if I would eat it. <laughs> but it depends how desperate you get. <laughs> I guess after several days that, you know, that food looked good. And he did it. Like God did that for Elijah miraculously provided for Elijah. And so here's what I do. I sit there when I'm going through a situation. I say, God, if you can do that for Elijah, you can do that for me. You can provide for me miraculously. Joshua was scared to death. Moses had died, and Joshua was tasked to go to this new land and conquer territory. 
And what did the Lord say to, say to, uh, to Joshua? He said, I will be with you just as I was with, with Moses. Be strong and courageous. And you know what? Here's what I tell myself. I say, God, thank you for this recorded scripture of Joshua. I can be strong and courageous. Why? Because just like you were with Joshua, you can be with me. Review and rehearse God's recorded faithfulness. And here's the final tip. Place your ladder of hope on God's goodness. Place your ladder of hope on God's goodness. Jeremiah 17, and Jeremiah writes this to the children of Israel. They were in exile. They were slaves to the most wicked people in all the earth, the Babylonians. It was horrible. And they saw no hope for the future. And God sends this guy named Jeremiah, and he actually encourages them. And look what he says to them. He says, but blessed are those who trust in the Lord. And I love this. Pay attention. And have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They've made who their confidence? The Lord. We make so many other things our hope and confidence. We're believing that, you know, governments or institutions or whatever is going to be our hope and confidence or a spouse or a church or a friend. It says those who've made the Lord their hope and confidence. Look what happens when you do this. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with the roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. But here's what we have to do. Place your ladder of hope on the goodness of God. See, see, well, we all have this, this ladder called hope. Matter of fact, Pastor Keith has a, something here he's going to bring out. We all have this ladder. Thank you. This is hope. And see, even the faith we have, God gives it to us. The hope we have, God instills it in us. We've got it. But here's what we do with the hope that God gives us. It's deep inside of us. We keep taking our ladder called hope and we're placing it on the wrong things. Placing it in people. People can never hold you, can they? They're going to let you down. So let me ask you a question. Can this thing hold this ladder? You don't think it can? Do you think I'll get hurt if I do this? I'm like, you're like, please. Please get hurt. All right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, that's not going to work. I'm not, I'm not climbing that ladder. All right. Okay, so what about this really pretty nice keyboard over here? Is it going to hold it? All right. No, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> the worship team got really scared. But see, you think it's funny. You're saying, no, 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 it won't hold it. No, don't, don't do that. But that's what we do. That's what we do. Like, like we can see it physically, but, but you're taking your ladder of hope and you're putting in all the wrong things in life. And you're wondering why you're not seeing the results of the joy and the fulfillment in life that you want. The, the trees like that, that was said. Your ladder of hope has to be placed on the goodness of God alone. People are going to fail you. Institutions will fail you. Governments will fail you. Churches will fail you. But, but God never, ever, ever fails. And when you place your ladder of goodness, remember I told you God gives you hope? Built into hope is already what you need. It's God. You place it on God. Then what happens is when it's placed on the right thing, you can actually climb. And I feel tall now. And when you have the ladder of hope placed on the right thing, watch this, watch this, you can climb any obstacle in your path. 
because of God's goodness and God's faithfulness. Amen. Friends, I, I want, as you leave here, and you're going back to your daily routines and the situations you're facing, some of you are in really tough situations in life. You put on the Easter smiley face through your mask and your eyes are squinting at people, but you're hurting, right? Here's what I want for you. I want you, when you look at the resurrection, to have hope. Hope that your current situation is not going to be your permanent situation. That God's already gone before you. He's hewn out the path. And you can trust God in all those things. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you. Thank you for hope. That because of the resurrection and the empty tomb, we can have hope over any situation. That if Jesus conquered death in the grave, the things that we're most scared of, we can have confidence in any situation, Lord. We can have hope in any situation. I pray right now, God, as we leave and go back to our, our routines, our jobs, our houses, our spouses, that, God, you would help us to have hope. Help us, God, each day to be reminded that we have to choose hope. And I pray that for everybody in here. And as we're praying today, church, in this mode of prayer, maybe you come to church or you've, you know, you've come to church on special occasions or maybe you gave your life to Christ or you decided just to walk away at one point. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ and you feel God drawing you. You know today is your day. Right where you're sitting, I want you in this sacred moment that we have is to make this confession of faith in the way of a prayer. If you want to surrender your life to Christ. And it's simple. It's this right here. I want you to pray this with me. Maybe if you're watching online today and, and you know today is the day, you know the Lord is stirring your heart right where you're sitting. Pray this prayer. You say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I cannot save myself with good works. But I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again on the third day. I believe he is the only way to heaven. Today, God, I repent. I turn from my old life and I receive today full forgiveness of sins. God, give me hope for the situations that I'm facing. In Jesus' good name that I pray, amen.